0: Thank you for joining for this episode of the TechSpective podcast. Uh, my guest this episode is Florian Neuding. Uh Florian, if you want to uh, you know, introduce yourself, give a little bit of background on on your role and, and what you do, that would be great.
1: Yeah, thank you, Tony. I'm a principal security architect at Adobe, and I oversee product and application security, and particularly our shift left efforts. That means I'm responsible for everything from uh, security training Automated code review to to fuzzing in, included, and my cutoff point is roughly when we release software to our customers, or it gets deployed to the cloud. By now, I'm nine years with Adobe, quite a long time. I first worked in in Germany four years ago. I came over the big pond over the Atlantic here to the U.S. and yeah,
0: that's what I do. Okay, hey, well, welcome. Uh, four four years ago, I think sounds like a bad time to come over, but <laughs> in, in, in general, I'm all in favor of of, of, of coming over. Great place, usually, um, but uh, yes. Uh, so that's the g- good introduction. Um, I wanted to have you on to talk specifically about some stuff you guys have going on at Adobe around uh, Project Kodiak. So to, to kind of lay the foundation. Um, can you just give it like a, a brief explanation of what is Project Kodiak and kind of the um, well, both the what is it and why is it?
1: Yeah, sure. So Project Kodiak is our project to um, build a source code analysis platform for security. We looked at um, different ways of of doing that and how how to integrate security and shift it left. That means doing it earlier in the development process. So the key idea is we want to give our developers feedback in the pull pull request that means we analyze source code changes the change as well as the whole repository and we provide automated feedback that is the very short summary why do we do that all shifting left has a couple of advantages it means we can do things much earlier in the development process where it's usually cheaper to to fix also Provides kind of a safety net for our developers. You know, writing secure code is really hard, even if you know all all the security issues. I'm a security researcher too. But it's still really hard to write secure code. And having such a safety net is very useful.
0: That's 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 probably a good kind of you know, thread to pull on. I think for for people who are not developers, especially people who aren't even technical, yeah, you know. I, I think maybe it's real easy to assume that they're, you know, people are just being sloppy or they don't care or whatever. Like, you know, well, why why do you keep making code with vulnerabilities in it? Just you know, stop. Um, I, I think it's fair to to, to, to provide an explanation. Now, uh, granted, the audience of this podcast probably knows, you know, better than 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 the average person on the street, but still worth discussing that there are. Hundreds of thousands, millions, tens of millions of lines of code, depending on the on on the program we're talking about, and not only would it be bordering on impossible to get that 100% secure in the first place, but also the 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 security the the threat landscape and the security landscape is a dynamic environment. So even if I say, hey, I've written this code, and this I guarantee you this code is 100% good right now. That doesn't mean that we won't discover something five months from now that makes it not good.
1: Yeah, that is, is very true. Um, maybe we can talk a, about a, a relatively simple example, cross-site scripting in a web application. So if I have a website and I take some input from my user and then I, let's say I can enter my, my name into a form field and then this name is displayed back to me. If I put some special characters in there and I don't take probably care of removing, of sanitizing or escaping these characters when I show them back to to the user, well, a user might embed a script tag and execute arbitrary JavaScript. And that gives an attacker the ability to steal some data from me. So we need to avoid that. It sounds kind of simple to prevent that, but in practice, it's not. We're dealing with cross-site scripting since, well, since we have browsers that support it, basically. Right. And the situation is getting better. We have libraries that make it much easier to write secure code because you can't forget this escaping and sanitization step. But we have lots of software that isn't written in, in, in these modern libraries. An example would be uh, React as a framework that is secure by default, how I call it. But for teams that have products where we can't easily replace it, especially because our customers depend, for example, on existing implementations that, say, modify to their needs. Um, Well, we need other ways of figuring out which data flows are there that are user controlled and which are not properly sanitized and escaped. And these things we can, to some degree, figure out in an automated fashion with software that analyzes software.
0: Okay. You've touched a little, uh, you know, we, 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 th- this whole conversation was kind of about shift left and, and, you know, going back to my earlier days when I was working in the trenches on the network, uh, admin and, and security analyst side of things. Um, once upon a time when I was at EDS and I've talked about this in previous podcast episodes, one of my functions was to do sort of a, a, a was to do a security analysis of programs before they were, Released to production, and and this is all sort of an anecdote to explain why shift left is is valuable and important. This is around you know 4,5. and in two thousand three four five, we were primarily doing waterfall development, and there was you know, gather requirements, and you do do all this stuff, and it, there was a you know six to nine month you know process from gathering requirements to developing the code to saying okay, here it is, it's ready for production, and if you at any point in that nine months came up with another feature or something else that needed to be added, that went into the next cycle and maybe you would put it in next year. There was no like developing on the fly. Um, that was very problematic. You know, it was, it was very problematic because I was given it, at the, I was basically the last step. The last step was, hey, Tony, can you look at this and see if it's secure? What are my options at that point? If I say, if I, I either say, you know, yes, and I, you know, rubber stamp it and let let insecure stuff go, go into production, or I push back in which case everyone's mad at me. <laughs> like I'm the bad guy <laughs> you know, yeah. because they just spent nine months developing this. And I say, no, you can't release this. Further, the further, you know, the earlier we can get into that cycle and, and to to incorporate security, to take a look at what can be done to improve security, the cheaper and easier it is, because it's a lot easier to just make a tweak early on than it is to unravel the whole program and start over nine months from now.
1: Yeah, that's that's very true. And when I explain what shifting left is, I always talk about the process. People first plan, then they write code. They get their code reviewed, they build it, they test it, and then they deploy or release it in some fashion, and both, well, and they operate it. And shifting left is just doing things earlier, as as we discussed. And just based on this example, if I can give feedback in the planning phase, for example, via thread modeling, then I can change the architecture easily because oh, not a lot is yet written, especially if I have a greenfield project. If I give feedback in the code phase, well, we might discuss it later in giving feedback in an IDE, but in the review phase, if... Um, our developers follow a peer review model where they share their source code with their coworkers, workers ask it for their feedback, and only then incorporate it, merge it into our product. And exactly at that point, we are getting, doing the security analysis, and our developers already expect feedback at that point because of well, their coworkers workers do it too. I just add automated feedback in addition to that. means when i give security feedback the code change is still fresh in the mind of the developer or engineer so it's relatively cheap to change both from a context switching perspective and um also from the effort in in changing it it's not yet on on production if no adobe has desktop apps it's super hard to roll out a change to all desktop applications compared to a pull request
0: well, I was going to say like I, I I can relate to that from the writing side of things. Like if I'm if I'm writing something, if I say I wrote a white paper, um, if I go back and review it, you know that evening, it's a lot easier for me to go. Okay, yes, I remember what you know what this. I, I remember the chain of thought. If Three months from now, someone reviews that and comes back to me and says, "Hey, Tony, we've got some feedback on this white paper. Now I've got to go read the whole white paper again to like understand. Okay, what was I even talking about, and how does this fit into the flow, and whatever you know? So it, it is. It's it's having the real time feedback means that I, as the writer or the developer, as you know, you know whoever is the creator of the thing, um, is still in that mind space, and it's a lot easier to make those adjustments."
1: Yeah, definitely. And I'm also thinking about it as an inline training tool. So not all engineers have the security trainings that I have received over the years. Well, it doesn't make sense to go that, that deep. For, for most people. So we can catch issues that they are simply not not aware of. And, um, you know, if you've been told a couple of times, maybe once or twice, three times by an automated system, well, you introduced a security issue, you'll learn about you won't do it again in the future. So this is also a very nice side effect of having such an integration into the development process. Right.
0: Um, so, at, you know, at its, at its core, sort of, um, you know, the, the ability to automate these things and, and you know, and kind of the, the foundation of, of Project Kodiak relies on, you know, the fact that basically everything is code infrastructure is code, blah, 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 you know, so from from that perspective, can you describe security as code? Like, what, what, how would you how would you explain security as code to someone?
1: Yeah, um, let me start first with a non security example, we have automated unit tests and integration tests we don't call it quality assurance as code but it is quality assurance as as code and security as code follows the same idea we have a set of rules that we define or in this case we have tools that execute these security tests and we can for example say if we have a data flow that comes from an user controlled does not go through a step that cleans it up and then is shown back to the user as HTML, then we have a security risk. So I can write a r- rule, it depends which tool, open source or commercial you're using, and then you can codify your security expertise. You can also write a rule that says, if you have a code pattern that non-security example would be, just to make it very simple, you have a loop, a for loop, and if you call in a for loop a specific function, it should never be called in a follow, loop. I can write a, a security check for that too, or a well, a code check in, in general that allows me to codify things.
0: Okay, so in you know in general, but I guess I you know asking more specifically for you know what what you're doing within Adobe with Project Kodiak, um, for a code security platform. To be effective and useful, like what 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 would you say are kind of the key elements that you need to have?
1: That's a very good question, and there are a few key aspects in project Kodiak that are most important to us. Our our mission is basically to find security issues before our adversaries find them. That there are a few very important details. Um, you know, finding potential issues, potential bugs, potential security issues, and figuring out the difference to an actual security issue and uh, something that is exploitable by an adversary with limited access are very different things. And finding potential bugs is really easy. That means I can could easily overwhelm my uh, the uh, developers and engineers at Adobe with noise. That means one of the core tenets we have at Project Cody is that we provide low noise feedback. It means we really make a, a high focus on stuff that is worth fixing. I know that's a little bit abstract, but we carefully de- select what kind of security issues do, do we show. We carefully make sure that the rules we have, both for open source tools and commercial tools are fine-tuned for adobe's code base so that we or we just select few rules it's also very important that any finding is actionable just if we tell a a give feedback well you have a security issue that's not helpful if we use language that is highly security technical well um you have a csrf issue would be an example I can't expect that everybody knows that CSRF stands for cross-site request forgery. I can't also expect that people know how to fix that. What are the common patterns, or you know, figure out if it's a false positive cross-site request forgery? If well, it's usually it's most relevant if you have cookies involved. Many of our APIs and web uh, don't use cookies. Well, then you don't need cross-site request forgery protection. So these are thoughts that, that go into the rule selection. OK. Going into it. Oh, yep.
0: No, I mean, if, if, you, have, if you have more to share I, on that.
1: I, I can, can go on for quite a while. <laughs> this is an excellent question. The next as, aspect is um, being tightly integrated into the developer workflow. Previously, we asked our um, engineering teams to come to us to onboard to our security tooling. And we found simply integrating to the source code management system that they use and giving inline feedback in the pull request, or if you use a different platform, it's called a merge merge request, but same thing. It really helps a lot. And we decided to offer zero effort onboarding, so we just told them, "Well, we are going to onboard you," and um, step by step, we onboarded more than 95% of of all of our Git repositories onto Project Codiot, and. Nobody had to do anything but my my team. That was really, really powerful to get started. Another aspect is fast feedback. If you have to wait a couple hours until an automated system gives you feedback on your source code change, it's probably already merged. Your coworkers work quicker. So we have a goal in most cases to give feedback within five minutes for um, some programming languages that are compiled Well, we take a little bit longer we sometimes need a build process to complete then it takes five minutes plus build to give initial feedback we have some feedback that definitely takes longer so i can't do do magic static analyzers is a really hard uh, problem to figure out but we make every effort to give some feedback very very fast so in in summary make your developers happy talk to them ask them what works what doesn't
0: okay well so all all of that makes sense. And a couple a couple of things that that I that resonate with me more in in, in the broader sense because I think it comes up a lot in security in general is the um, is the actionable portion of it because it's real easy for like us on the security side to just go well here you know here's all the things are, that are wrong we found all these vulnerabilities we found all these you know uh, policy violations wh- you know whatever configuration errors here's here's a catalog of all the things um but whether it's developers or end users or managers or whatever it's like there needs to be the other part of it which is you know sort of like okay well let me put these in order for you like these are the ones you really need to work on and these you can get to later but also what am I supposed to do <laughs> if I just if I just give someone an error where I say, well, you know, this 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 domain this do, domain controller is uh, you know misconfigured? It's like okay, and then what? You know, how how what am I supposed to do with that information? Um, so I think that you know is important, but it also then kind of leads me into my next question, which kind of flows from what you were talking about, which is for product Kodi or Project Kodiak. Um, where does the information go like who's who's seeing the output who's who's receiving it what are they supposed to do with that information and I'll I'll add on one other little tidbit which is sort of who else sees it like like if the information goes to the developer is there also like a team lead that is seeing the information um, because to me that part kind of comes back to the ongoing education aspect like I want to know, you know, use, using your example, if if you have if if you've if you've put a bunch of cross site scripting vulnerabilities or whatever in, into something, and I give you a report and say, hey, here's some issues I found. Can you fix these? And you fix them, great. But a month from now, I don't want to get another report where you've got a bunch of cross site. You're like, hopefully, you're 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 improving over time, and I, as the manager, need to be able to see that. Yes. You are, you are taking these things into consideration and you're not continuing to make the same mistake over and over again.
1: Yeah, exactly. So we have a few different groups that we target. So our primary audience, are, of course, the, the developers that write the code so that they get immediate feedback if they have introduced a security issue in, in the code change. Um, that is based on our request integration to our source code management system we also have um developed dashboards for project kodiak to give the engineering managers um, of these teams feedback what kind of issues they have so they have sometimes long list of of issues or well, often potential issues that we've identified and we help them prioritize we also support other security parts of of the security team for example our threat modeling team can use Codia KUDI, project KUDIX, uh, in information to decide well these are issues that have happened in the past not only our vulnerability database that, that we have um, but also things that are only in our source code analysis platform we we provide this information so that they can get make a better assessment on which things to focus when talking to a to a team. We enable incident res, response too. So we have a um, bit over a year ago we had log4shell, and everybody knows about it. So it's a pretty good example where we needed to figure out well where are we using a log4j library. The platform like Kodiak can help answer that question too. We have a full copy of all source code and we make it available to our security researchers so that they can look also for things that Kodiak does not yet have codified security rules for. Of course, we also target uh, uh, security leadership to provide data. A little bit of a surprising example would be on a high level, we we have data, how effective are our um, we are working on it currently. How effective are our training programs? Which percentage of the community introduces a certain kind of of security issue? Do we need to change the way how how we are training folks? Oh, well, that's very useful for full data.
0: Yes, I mean it, 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 because I think I mean, and that that comes back to a broader just business thing of just you you. For no matter what you're doing, there should be some metric you can look at to try to determine, like, okay, was that worthwhile? Should we continue investing in that? Should we invest more in it, less in it? Is it working or not? Um, yeah. I've had, you know, I've had other people from Adobe on on the podcast, and so I've talked about, you know, kind of zero trust initiatives. We've talked about different different things that are, uh, you know, that exist inside Adobe from a security perspective. Um, how does what you're doing? How does Project Kodiak integrate with that security ecosystem within Adobe?
1: Yeah, so it's tightly integrated into the product and software security aspect. You might also call it application security. You know, static analyzers and software composition analyzers are no no silver bullets. They can't detect all kinds of things, but they are highly scalable. So I can can write a security rule once and apply it to the whole company there are caveats of course well programming language support library support in a programming language and we can 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 go down in, into a rabbit hole to figure out what coverage actually means but it means we need to spend less time on on specific kinds of of security issues so what what kind of security issues do we have um uh, secrets and source code as usually as an accident, if you, for testing, you need usually credentials locally on, on your system. If you commit them accidentally, we can detect that and we can follow up on with the developer. So that's not anything that anybody has to do manually anymore. We can detect a couple hundred different kinds of secrets in a fully automated version, directly alert people that they did a mistake. They can quickly revoke the credentials and be done with it. Or software composition analysis, so vulnerable third party code, especially open source. And this goes a little bit into the S1 topic too. Um, well, we can give feedback if there are issues. We can also inform well, which are third party dependencies we use across and which libraries are commonly used, we can inform decisions. And we're working together with our open
0: source office
1: to, uh, to figure out how to improve processes around open source usage. SAST, static application security testing. um, Well, then we talk about mostly data flow concerns, but it also allows my team and all development teams across Adobe to implement custom guardrails either on an Adobe level or on a project level. So if you have some anti-patterns for a library you're using internally, well, add some to Kodiak and you, you can save some time during code review. Okay. All
0: right. Um, so here's a question that I've asked in, in the past because it, it, it seems to come up frequently w- uh, with with Adobe in particular. Um, why build Project Kodiak as opposed to just buying a platform or tool that performs the same function?
1: that's a really good question um when we started designing kodiak we also looked at commercial options but the uh commercial space for tools like project kodiak uh didn't yet exist this has changed by by now to some degree i'm I'm facing a few challenges at the the enterprise level that smaller companies probably don't face. I have to deal with multiple source code management systems by different vendors. I deal with all thousands and thousands of development teams that have uh, unique processes. We have standardization of of course. We have a lot of shared infrastructure, but um, still. We have a very diverse landscape inside of of Adobe, supporting that all is challenging. Um, The second aspect is, yes, there are solutions. There are very, very good solutions for SAST and for SCA. So the first-party code and third-party code uh, vulnerability detection. But it's not always coming from the same vendor. And Secrets and Source Code Detection might be another vendor. I certainly don't want in the pull requests of my development team three or four tools. And I'm looking at tools that can further augment Project Kodiak with more advanced features. Should I really add more tools to my pull requests? No, I should not. I want to provide a unified view our... Chief Security Officer Martin talks about security as in speaking with one voice. So, uh, Tony, you also touched on the topic of prioritization. In the future, I really want to provide a unified and pre-prioritized list based on all the context I have about a product or a Git repository to help teams make the right security decisions. I'm enabling security, but that means I need to simplify it so that all the teams with without dedicated security experts can make the right decisions. And I'm not yet aware of a tool that fills all these gaps. Okay. There are tools that cover many aspects and we have um I have this source code search too. I can can look for arbitrary regular expressions within seconds across my whole code base. All right. That's something only newly becoming a, a, available. Yes, there are speci- specialized vendors, but they don't do security. So, so
0: that's tricky. I can, I can, I can definitely relate. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll switch gears for, <laughs> for, for the anecdote. Like, you know, my wife and I have, you know, we've got various accounts, credit cards, checking, savings, whatever. We we want to be able to like manage our finances like together. And you know, so we both we we both want access to to see what's going on, and we need all of that stuff you know we need all of the sources to be in one place so that we have that unified view so i can say okay i know this is what we spent and i can budget around that we've been struggling for like a couple of years now trying to find a solution that actually delivers that like we've used mint mint's pretty you know very good in a lot of ways but it's like missing a couple of key components then we switched over to you know rocket money like also very good it's got better reporting but in both cases neither of them is able to actually integrate with all of our accounts. And it's like, all right, well, that's a fatal flaw. Like, I don't want to have I don't want to have a solution that does like 80 or 90 percent of it. And then I still have to go manually do the other 10 percent. That doesn't really help me that much. You know, so it's 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 a it's a similar thing, you know, where it's like, yes, you could cobble together uh, some solutions that would deliver the, the same Net outcome, but it's how much effort is going to be involved on your end, and how much complexity are you adding for no apparent reason?
1: Yeah, the equivalent of of Mint and Rocket existed back then too. That I not only needed to aggregate findings and display them. AppSec orchestration tools exist, um, or single pane of glass exists since quite a while. But I really needed a tool that could orchestrate these scanning engines and following a best of breed approach. So, if you look at our uh, keyword here is kind of wadly mapping. The idea is you can classify the value stream components that you have as Genesis, something that is com- completely new to stuff that is commodity. Nobody talks about specifics in electricity or water supply, it's all highly, highly standardized. And at the other end, we have highly specific things that are custom-built in this case for Adobe, and there's stuff in the middle. Static application security testing tools, they are not yet commodities. They are not yet standardized. It's really interesting how how different they are, how different they operate. Software composition analysis tools are, are more standardized. So we said, let's focus on the part that we really can't buy because it's still in in genesis, being figured out by the industry what the standard solution should be. So we have to bespoke solution solution for that at Adobe. While we use open source and commercial tools for the rest.
0: Okay. Um, so another organization. I mean, Adobe's larger than than most, but you know, another. So for some organizations, maybe 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 there's a tool on the market that would kind of fit their needs better. Um, but in a situation where, you know, someone's like, all right, you know, if they're in the same boat as you, and they say, I need to do these things, I have all these tools available, they all do 70% of what I need, but that's, you know, I need, I need something better. If you were going to do it over again, like what are the kind of the cons or the pitfalls? Like what what challenges should someone should someone be aware of before they embark on creating their own project Kodiak?
1: Yeah, the first is be really careful with the build or buy or adopt decision uh, so that you are really sure that uh, you have, have to build. And in my case, the driver was, well, even if I buy a commercial tool that has integration into various source code management systems, I still have to orchestrate the execution of the tool. So that effort gives me already a, a lot of what I had to build for Project Kodiak with my team. But it, it's really important to be very careful about this decision. The next most important decision is figuring out which SAST tool to to use. And we evaluated multiple tools. And it's kind of surprising how, how they p- performed. And just because some tools are based on source code only analyzers, some tools need a build integration, so you have to f- execute really a full build step, at least for some languages like CC++ Java. And some just take a build artifact. That's often in, in the Java ecosystem. And that is one of the most important decisions to, to make. If you take something that is really hard to roll out because you need build integration or build artifacts, that can be very painful. So you have, that's probably the most Im, Im, important decision around having something like Project Kodiak, or even if you decide to just buy a SaaS tool and integrate it into your source code management platform, because you have only one, that influences a, a lot of the work you have to do. Right. You know, being able to roll it out across the company and get 90% of what's a slightly better tool might get you, with built integration, you're not going to get built integration across a large enterprise with all lots and lots of help. And it might take well in first approximation forever. It's also super important to have a tool that is highly customizable so that you can write security as code custom rules that are specific to the problem domain you're facing. Just because you have a tool for Java doesn't mean it can deal with Java server pages, as an example. Doesn't mean it's aware of other frameworks you're using. So figuring this out. Um, stuff that I would do different. I would still build Project Kodiak today again. I am not yet aware of a tool that fits my particular needs. Um, So that that I wouldn't do different, but I would prioritize things differently. We needed quite a bit of time to figure out what kind of feedback to give inline in the uh, pull request versus what we should display in a dashboard. We We had the belief initially, we don't want to break the developer's flow and always keep them in the source code management system. And in retrospect, it turned out we need a dashboard because most source code management systems are not built to be extended in the fashion we what we wanted to do to have detailed dashboards in a your git repository is kind of hard in most source code management systems so adding our own dashboard something that we should have done much earlier um another aspect is what i call differential scanning or analyzing net new source code that's something i would have built earlier too giving feedback on on all code in a branch or git git revision and in in general can be noisy because well, in the past, you probably have accepted quite some risk, you know, it's all about acceptable risk, it's not about perfect security, but let's switch it all off that doesn't allow us to do business. So it's about acceptable risk. And just analyzing the net new source code. And figuring out files that have changed code paths that have changed and now need to be analyzed and highlighting these new issues that are newly introduced just now in the pull request that's really the sweet spot and we needed a bit to figure that that out and there's caveats to that too we have some things where we in a surgical fashion even while we say we only give in a pull request localized feedback uh, some security issues which we will always have to in, inform our developers about, even if it's an old code, because we have an effort to, well, eliminate a, ca, a class I of security issues.
0: Because, so yes, it makes absolute sense to be able to do like a differential, again, I'm going to put it back in writing context. You know, like I, I'd yeah. much rather have, you know, track changes on so that I can, I know, okay, I already I already ignored that that once. And that makes sense in this case to say, okay, you know, I've already looked at it. I understand the risk. I've accepted the risk. I don't need you every, you know, every day, every week, every month to remind me, oh, yeah, that's still a risk yeah. because I already accepted it. But that said, and, and I think this is maybe what you were getting at for some things. I'm like, OK, but on some periodic basis, whether it's six months or a year or something, you should come back to it and say, OK, are you sure you still want to accept this this risk? Like, you just, You don't want to just ignore it forever just because I accepted it
1: yeah there are two aspects to it to that one is um not everything has yet been marked as an accepted risk or a false positive so especially if we onboard a new project that is already a large code base hundreds of of lines of code or even millions um then we during the first scan we will find a lot of stuff and that is overwhelming that's simply too much so we need to focus on the things that are most most important or most most urgent, most severe in, in impact potentially. And that is where the once you go into this backlog and you mark things, well, this doesn't impact me, based on the context, it doesn't make sense. And then you can mark these all as false positives or accept them. But even then you might still have a long list of of things that are impacting that you decided you can't fix them. They are still in, in your backlog. And we don't want that these things pop up in, into every pull request. And that's why is why it's important to just look at the net new stuff and figure out what is net new. There are various ways to to detect that. And correlating you know, source code changes. You can't use line numbers and in, uh, in in a file because the line number will change during the next um, commit, probably. So you need to be a little bit smarter in figuring out how do I track that. This is still the same security issues that I alerted yesterday about or six months ago.
0: Okay. Um, all right. Well, I mean, I think that does it for for me in terms of my questions about Project Kodiak. Um, you know, so. I, I, I sometimes like to kind of wrap things up with an open-ended question of, is there you know do you have any closing thoughts? Is there something you know, something we could have asked that I didn't?, um, you know, yeah, just any, anything no, else you no. want to add?
1: Closing thoughts, good point. Um, I s- spend most of my time nowadays thinking about what my customers, the developers and engineering teams, what they really want to get out of it. So having, good connections to the embedded security teams across ad- ad- Adobe and generally being open to feedback, how it's working. That is one of the most important aspects. So just talk to your developers. They have to deal with what you send them, ask for feedback, make it better.
0: Awesome. All right, well, I want to uh, thank you for taking the time. It was uh, a yeah. good conversation, enlightening.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. Most was great. All right,
0: All right. take care. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, Please go like our Facebook page and follow at techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like. Let me know if you love it. Let me know if it sucks and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what, uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts.